You are now entering the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. We do not have a Patrick today. He is out in uh, Las Vegas attempting to get into the World Series of Poker. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And in preparation for this show, the Willy Wonka show, I ate a whole bunch of candy. Maybe a little too much because I ended up making my own chocolate river. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say something about making your own Augustus poop, but whatever. <laughs> oh, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> it's not. Trust me, it's a little nutty. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so it's yeah. going to be that kind of show. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we do have a replacement, Patrick, though, don't we? We do. We have we have a, pad, a board of Pat. Oh. See? <laughs> You'll never know he's gone. Yeah. It's because anytime we uh, have a good, you know, we have a conversation going and he needs to interject with some woody repertoire, we have this. Well, you can just go. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> Robo Pat. Oh, yeah. Who needs Pat? We have three buttons. So. Whoa. Pat doesn't even have what? three buttons. Pat barely has two. That, that's a true story, actually. Anyway, yeah. So anyway, before we get too personal. <laughs> right. Uh, we have feedback. <gasps> oh, God, we do we have feedback? We should get the yes, speakers away from the monitors then. Yeah, we should turn those around. Um, what I actually, we have a uh, Tommy the Duck has sent us an email. He, Brian, out there, he has uh, commented and says, Hey guys, I have a few ideas for some topics. Hey, first off, the hair metal episode was my favorite, so how about another music show? There's so many longtime bands that have evolved over the years, and being a metalhead, I'd like a metal show. But I understand that not everyone has an awesome taste in music as I do. Also, all the big thrash bands of our youth are still around. Metallica would be great. Some other ones might be Beastie Boys or U2. And in parentheses, it says, shut up, Joel. Yeah, you two sucks. Okay, you know what, Joel? Finally, you and I agree on something entertainment-related, because you two blows. All right. right But Metallica, I would be thrilled to do a more mainstream metal show, because aside from They Might Be Giants, I've seen Metallica live more than any, any band. And I would like to point out that Mr. Tommy the Duck, Brian, um, on his car that he drives all day long, wherever he goes, his license plate is personalized to say Slayer. So if that tells you anything about Brian, there you go. Well, he also says that we could, you know, talk about the state of the genre and how the sound of rock country top 40 rap has changed over the decades. Uh it says, for example, rap evolved from kicking street knowledge into grunting like a helmet-wearing retard. <laughs> wow. And Brian and I disagree on absolutely everything across the board, but we're like, he's he's a really good guy. So, yeah, we should do that. I agree. Yeah. And Four white guys well, talking all, about rap. That'll be interesting. Yeah. We also have a, uh, he also says, Pat, my address is, well, I'm not going to announce that on the air, but uh, he says he'll be waiting. Uh-oh. Whoa. So Ominous. I think, yeah, something might be on the way to Patrick, he says. Oh, this is perfect. Yeah, because Pat's not here to, <laughs> we're going to get the uh, full real reaction later. I think that's amazing. It is. So thank you. And uh, Josh, you said we had some voicemails? Oh, yeah. We've got uh, voicemails. First, uh, a response to uh, our taunting. Uh, Joel warned us that if we continue to taunt Charlie, that uh, he'd have a few things to say. So let's let's hear what he's got to say. <laughs> got it. 
You motherfucker! Uh, I, I would. Uh, I'm trying to feign anger here. I don't give a shit. Uh, I, I'm, I took me so long to surreptitiously dial you with my phone because I'm driving in Illinois and I'm not supposed to be using my phone in Illinois. So you're on speakerphone. It probably sounds like assholes. But it took me so long to do this without looking like this is what I was doing. So I figured I was going to talk to you guys about. It. So I'm going just going to tell you I'm driving in Illinois and there is a giant cloud directly in front of me that looks like a snail. That is half snail, half penis, or a penis that is half penis and half snail. I don't know. It's a combination of the two. But uh, I'm calling you guys, and uh, and and I I I, uh, I don't know. Um, how how are you guys? I, I was I was talking to Joel the other day, on, on, and I was terrible. But then I was talking to Joel. I really miss Joel. Joel is uh, Joel is uh, the butter on my bread. He's a fantastic guy. I don't think you guys should. I don't think you guys give him enough credit for being awesome. Joel's awesome. Uh, yeah, fuck that guy. Joel's awesome. Well, All right. what I get from that is he likes to butter Joel, mm-hmm. wants to have sex with a snail, mm-hmm. and realizes that he sounds like ass. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, and Google uh, Google Voice believes that he was talking about Peter Wong and uh, was a big fan of Bob Dole. <laughs> he loves Bob Dole. Uh, <laughs> coffee yeah. in the sinuses. That's a great way to start the I, day. I'd have read the whole transcript, but that was a really long one. So. All right. So we also have uh, Scott. Scott the pool boy. Scott. Scott the pool boy. Hey guys, this is Scott the Pool Boy. And uh, the other day I was at work, I was listening to an old episode of The Awful Show, episode 146, when something happened that made me think of you. And I forgot to call when it happened, but I just remembered it now, and I'm at my house, and I, I'm going to play it for you. Hopefully it's not too loud, but yeah, alright, here we go. Uh, mysterious flash of light, loud boom occurred in the skies of Norfolk and uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Sunday night. Uh, this will cause the phenomenon. This is from Michael McDonald and the other story. Excellent. Michael McDonald. He really does. You heard about yourself the way he's going to do But yeah, so that made me think of you. Kay, love you. Bye. <laughs> so you were, you, wow. you were using Michael McDonald to shut people up back then, too. I, I wasn't. Mike was, though. That's uh, crazy right. town. The Mike, yes, but uh, that's funny. And speaking of which, the voice you heard originally talking about the reading the news, that's that's uh, Nero. He's going to be oh, on uh, the Coffin Joe cast this week, so a little tie in there with that show. There you nice. Go. Oh, that's really cool. Well, I like that, which also reminds me that I have to queue up uh, the Doobie Brothers. So <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's, what, one week until uh, I turn up, or is it two weeks? I forget. Oh, Around for the Coffin Joe cast? Yeah. Oh, and speaking of which, we should probably announce uh, the little update to things that uh, has happened here. Uh, Josh will be on on the July 19th, coming up soon. Yes. Right. Two, two weeks from <clears throat> the day we're recording today, probably a little bit uh, after whenever you guys hear this. But yeah, I will be appearing as a co-host on the Coffin Joe uh, cast for the show recorded on the 19th of July. And in August, all three of us will be in the same place at the same time. Yes. Well, well Josh the three of us. There, right. No. Me, Pat, Pat, Mike, Pat, and uh, myself, Joel, will all be at Gen Con, the world's largest gaming convention in Indianapolis. Uh, we're going to be doing one of two things, depending on what time of the day it is. We're either going to be helping run Card Hala, which you should definitely look up on YouTube, because what it is is actually a gigantic card city that is built for charity. This year, it's Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Indianapolis, I think. And, uh, well, basically, over three days, 
people bring in cards, uh, businesses will bring in cards that they have, like, you know, tons of commons of whatever, and people can come in and build towers out of the cards. And the biggest we've ever had has been 16 and a half feet tall. Just cards folded and balanced on each other. We also had a couple of years ago, somebody built the a replica of the Seattle Space Needle. We've had a working uh, viaduct made out of magic cards that actually pumped water. Viaduct, via no and, chicken. Hey, thanks. And uh, the working model of Big Ben that chimed on the hour. What? Yes, Crazy. that was about three, four years ago. And uh, on Saturday night is the destruction of Cardhalla, where people show up. We get a big old crowd of people, and people throw money, coins and stuff, at the uh, towers to knock them down. And then all the money that we get is actually donated to charity. And you can also find me, Joel, and Patrick out and about doing uh, Instant Game Show, which is a mobile game show that travels around the convention giving away prizes. But it's just for fun. You know, it's not like we're... You know, we're not doing it for making money or anything. We just really enjoy being out in front of people and giving away swag and that sort of stuff. So we're going to have T-shirts, and usually we have some games and that sort of thing that we can give away. The reality and, uh, is, is that we're attention whores. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, but the only reason I won't be joining the guys down at Gen Con is because uh, the company I work for actually runs all of the Magic the Gathering events uh, over at the show. So I will be minding the store. When uh, Pastimes is running uh, all the magic tournaments. so uh, But I'm sure before you guys go up, we've made some tentative plans to get together at least once. Uh, and we'll probably have some interesting stuff from those meetings when actually the four of us are together in the same place for the first time since we started doing this show. And so oh, yeah. we should have some treats from uh, the time we're actually able to get all four of us in the same place. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Well, we have one more voicemail. The mystery voicemail. Mystery voicemail. Yeah, normally I screen these before uh, we do this, but since we're recording on Saturday morning because I've been out of town for the 4th of July, uh, yeah, I haven't heard this one. So this is going to be a mystery. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. Patrick we have, agrees. Yeah, we have. All right. Hello, this is Listener. I have nothing to say here. I just uh been calling my podcast that has voicemail lines and even some that don't, fuckers. Um, I'm not calling any people out, but you shit together. Uh I I, I, I was saying something, uh, yes, Nintendo cereal. I love that shit when I was a kid. But my favorite was the fucking Ninja Turtle. Ninja Turtle cereal with a little fucking cardboard marshmallows. Uh yeah. Cinnamon Toast Crunch Rocks, fuck all you haters. I don't keep my cereal in the bowl long enough for it to get soggy. My favorite fucking plain cornflakes. Three tablespoons full of sugar when I was a kid. Plain now as a grown up. Always got them because I'm the only one that fucking eats them. I guess I do have some content to add. Uh, shit. That's the piece of purpose of this call. Calling to say I didn't have anything to add or say to the show. Just say, hey, this is listener. I'm calling your phone. Now, I, I have no idea where I'm going with it even now, so I'm sticking myself deeper into a fucking hole. So... Yeah. Woohoo! Bring back no Mr. No Nos. Whoa. <laughs> A request for Mr. No Nos. Oh, that was listener. No. I could not. Wow. I'm here. I never went anywhere. I know who that was, by the way. Yeah, we, uh, we, we've we heard from Listener before. Uh, he wishes to be known as Listener, apparently, on the show, since we oh. specifically requested he call back. 
Uh, well, so I can't say who it is. Oh, you can. I mean, I, well, I don't know. Let's leave it a secret. Well, he okay. identified yeah. himself on his first email or right, yeah, on his first voicemail right at the end. Yeah, oh, he, okay. he, he's a regular caller and one of my favorite people. But he is quite possibly the one person on the planet that is a bigger Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan than I am. And I'm not saying that that I'm huge, but he likes everything. He doesn't care how good or bad anything is with TMNT he likes it and he wa- and his kids but uh his profile picture on his Facebook page actually is him dressed like a teenage mutant ninja turtle so the fact that he liked the cereal was just icing on the cake what, Shit. <laughs> what? I, what? Button, huh? no no I was I was trying to cue it up man I there was you were totally saying good stuff <laughs> I wasn't trying to here I wasn't trying to here let's try it this way uh, I was so. gonna ask Pat what he thought about that but <laughs> exactly <laughs> I'll do that to Pat. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. <laughs> All right. So have we even said what this show's about? Nope. Yeah, Josh. Did. I mentioned no? it. Yeah. Uh, before you mentioned we it. get into the Willy and the Wonka, I do want to give a quick shout out to our podcast network. Uh, we recently joined, although now it's been, what, a month? A month or so. Yeah, yeah. we uh, signed up with the Musings of a Geek podcast network. They have a lot of great podcasts. Just added a couple new ones, including uh, Jerk Zeus Radio. Uh, so check them out. Uh, I personally listened to a bunch of shows this week, uh, including Best of the Worst Movie Podcast. Uh, those guys are great, even if they did like R.I.P.D., which I thought was a terrible movie. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, yes, Sarah and I uh, watched it on HBO and uh, wanted our two hours back. Mm. But it was cool to hear somebody else's perspective on it. So, uh, yeah, check them out. Check out uh, all of our podcast brothers and sisters. No offense to any shows we don't mention, which is why I only mention one or two per week. Yeah, but definitely go out to musingsofageek.com. You can find the whole roster out there. A lot of good shows. Yeah, yeah if you want to find us, you can find us there or at on Twitter at 40go14. Or you can send us an email at 40go14 at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook just by searching for 40 going on 14 Yeah, you can also, if you want to leave us a voicemail, uh, we take them all the time at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. So you know what time it is now? <gasps> this week in music, movies, and TV. Yes, and uh, the year we have chosen is uh, 1971, because that is the release year of the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate, Fa- Chocolate Factory movie. So I believe uh, with Pat on vacation this week, you took care of the This weekend. Yes, I did. Uh, no sports? No sports, because Pat sucks. <laughs> My, if I do them, no sport. Can I? I looked up. Oh, good. What? I was going to ask if I could do huh? the music part. Yeah, actually, the music part, I kind of was thinking about you, because that seems like something you would dig. So you want to start us out with music, Joel? Sure. All right. This week in music, the Fillmore West closed on July 4th, 1971, after five nights of shows featuring such San Francisco bands as Santana, sucks, Creedence Clearwater Revival, awesome, Grateful Dead, sucks, and Quicksilver Messenger Service, can't think of any songs, and a poetry reading from Alan Ginsberg, who does not suck. Someone named Jim Morrison dies. What? Mike? (laughs) Well, coincidentally, it's actually the Jim Morrison who people know. It's not just yeah. someone. Oh, okay. I was like, but no, he is also really is. someone named Jim Morrison. So 
Um, then Mike apparently follows up here to not just leave it there. James Douglas sla- uh, quotes Jim Morrison, December 8th, 1943 to July 3rd, 1971. American singer, songwriter, poet, best remembered as a lead singer of the Los Angeles rock band The Doors. Uh, Morrison developed an alcohol dependency which led to his death at the age of 27, which is a magical number if you're a musician, uh, in mm-hmm. Paris. Uh, he's alleged to have died of a heroin overdose, but as no autopsies were, were performed, uh, the exact cause of his death is still disputed and yes i changed the way he wrote that but yeah that that's unfortunate that yeah. was a that was a loss for sure yeah i i really enjoyed the doors enjoy the doors music and the movie which honestly i think was amazing he was amazingly played by um what's his val name kilmer. Oh, yeah. val kilmer pre uh val kilmer turning into patrick yeah, and and that was Ray Manzarek <laughs> continued to do quite a bit. I mean, was a, a fascinating guy on his own, and he just passed away. I thought recently too, if I'm remembering correctly. The keyboardist. Yeah, I don't know, but that was uh, July. Actually, seventy one. That was kind of a sad uh, year for music. Between the third and the fourth, we lose Jim Morrison and the Fillmore West closes. Though I think the five nights of those bands, even though Santana is awesome. Joel. Santana's not good, in my opinion. Ray Menzerich oh. died uh, May 20th last year. What? You know, Joel oh. says Santana's not good. I want to hear what Patrick has to say about this. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yes, it is, you freak. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's how could you not like Santana, man? I, I just don't like bands like Santana and the Grateful Dead. Not not that they're the same. But OK, so you don't like the band Santana. We, what about Carlos Santana? I guess he's an, he's probably a nice guy. I mean, I would I would eat dinner with him if he had offered. <laughs> I just don't. He's not, not a, a fan great, of I mean, music. I don't that's all. OK, well. I'm just also thing I'm wondering is, can you imagine what a poetry reading from Allen Ginsberg has got to be like? No. It'll make you howl? I, yeah, I, I don't know. I figure, yeah, welcome to the poetry reading. Put this on your tongue and step into the room. You know? I'd go to that. You may have been there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you just couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> All right. So movies, July 2nd, 1971, a movie that we need to do on 40 Going on 14. Shaft is released in the United States. Hells yes. Yeah, Shaft is one bad, bad mother. mother. Uh, no, I'm not doing this. Again. Totally on time. <laughs> we, no. we did this in an earlier episode with us constantly making the Shaft references. Yeah, so but no, it uh, but came out 71, budgeted at just over uh, just over a million dollars, 1.1 million, gross 12 in 1971 in the United States. Twelve dollars. A massive yes, twelve dollars. Well, I don't know that back then. That's like a good hundred people going to the theater. <laughs> Did you say a massive plop? I mean, similar, I guess. Yeah, no, gross twelve point one million dollars in seventy one, and uh, over rentals has grossed uh, seven point one million. So it's definitely doing all right. But uh, have you guys seen the the uh, remake? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I took my grandmother to go see that. What? Don't act surprised. <laughs> Did she ask to go see it? <laughs> she loved it. Oh, okay, good. She thought it was hilarious. I mean, she laughed at really weird parts, like when. Like so we took we she's we brought home a top secret for her to see once and uh, the point where she laughed the most was when the guy in the cow costume got it from the bowl so and the part in Shaft where she laughed the most is when there was the racially motivated beating with some humor injected in the second in the remake so apparently we've discovered that animal rape and racial beatings made my grandmother this laugh. Wow, that's, so much. Yeah, that's not entirely yeah. complimentary. Yeah, and in retrospect, I may take that part out. But <laughs> <laughs> so, and also another sad moment in uh, Hogan's Heroes. The TV show ended July 4th, 1971. Hogan! Yeah, that's which, you know, it was a good show. It was fun. I yeah. see nothing. 
I hear nothing. Hogan was my hero. <laughs> there you go. This week in sports. Nice. Pat sucks. Oh. I think you mispronounced Pat Summerall. I did. You know what I liked about Hogan's Heroes what? is that... Um, <laughs> you wish to go back in the conversation? <laughs> yeah, I wish to go back. Uh, what's his name from Family Feud was in it? Oh, Richard Dawson? Yeah, he was awesome in that show. And he was in The Running Man. Oh, what a great I was going to guess Steve Harvey. He was not... Steve Harvey was... He was probably a child then. I don't know. Yeah, you just totally blew my mind. Right I'm trying to think what, what Steve Harvey would have been doing. Yeah, I just Googled Steve Harvey and all the images come up and it looks like he's judging me. <laughs> How old was Steve Harvey then? He, he, uh, he was born kid. in 1957, so math. He, he would have been like... He was in his teens. Yeah, almost. Yeah, there you go. So, All right, well, now I'm... That was a good show. See you next week, kids. It is a good show. <laughs> Speaking oh, of which... Wonka. Now, hats, coats, galoshes over here. But hurry, please. We have so much time and so little to see. Wait a minute. Strike that. Reverse it. Thank you. All right. So, Willy Wonka, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, depending on when you watched it. Uh, we are starting out with... Uh, Wait, watched it? I just ate like 15 boxes of nerds and a bunch of bottle caps. Well, you're all right then. Wait, I thought we were talking about our penises this week. No. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a good thing that I've seen the movie. So. Yeah. First of all, actually, we're talking about the movies for Willy Wonka and the Chalk Factory, or Charlie and the Chalk Factory, depending on which one uh, you watch. They're two different titles for the same theme of movie. But uh, before we do that, I'd like to talk about Road Doll. I think out of, as have any of us not read a Road Doll book? Me. Uh, yeah, actually, I think it's just you who has. Really? I'm yeah. guessing Pat has for some reason. Pat, Pat's weird word. Something you think he hasn't done. He's like, oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah, because I know that there's, okay, I'm a quick rundown. The James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, Matilda, The Witches, Fantastic Mr. Fox. No? Which was just made into a, a pretty amazing movie from what I hear, although James and the Giant Peach was kind of a turd in my opinion. The movie, not the book. Yeah, we well, know. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like, my kids love them. We actually, I read that to them bedtime story, and we read the entire book in one shot. Wow. Books are not long. Uh, George's Marvelous Medicine and the BFG. Which What's is interesting. My, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that's my daughter's favorite book. She loves BFG. I was just going to say that I think the reason I missed out on these books is because I went straight from like little golden books and first readers and stuff like Where the Wild Things Are and then jumped straight into Tolkien and C.S. Lewis at a very young age, which made me jump <clears throat> a lot of those intermediate steps behind like picture books to picture books with a few words to a few more words, and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, I'm reading full length, like two, three hundred page books. No, I'm with you on that. I mean, I was, I read, first time I read The Hobbit was in fourth grade. Yeah. Uh, but I still, you know, just for like, I loved reading when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, I had, I still, I mean, you guys have seen the bookcases in my living room. <laughs> yes. It's, for those of you that don't know, they're eight feet tall, eight feet tall and 12 feet wide. Yep. Nothing but books and, well, some DVDs and video games too. But it's, you know, I still have my first copy of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and that sort of thing. But, um, Rodol, born September 1916 and died in 1990. He was a British novelist and a short story writer. A uh, little IMDb, or not IMDb, uh, Wikipedia from him. He was born in Wales to Norwegian parents, and he served in the Royal Air Force during World War II, in which he became a flying ace and uh, rose to the rank of wing commander. And then took off with Mark Hamill and fought in space. Wait a minute. I, I think Wait. I don't think I think you looked at Wikipedia there. Oh, okay. I went off in the wrong section there. All right. Uh, so anyway, no, he was not he did not fly in outer space, but he in the forties he started writing books for children and adults 
and uh, in the newspapers and like little serial stories, and then eventually started writing kids' books, which he had started writing kids' books for his kids. He had wrote stories for his kids, and they would read them, and eventually he uh, started getting published. And in 1983, he received the World Fantasy Award for Life Achievement from the British Book Awards. Oh, I'm sorry, no. Uh, yeah, World Fantasy Award Life for Life Achievement in 83, and Author of the Year in 1990 from the British Book Awards. And then uh, in 2008, uh, The Times, Great Britain, placed him 16th on the list of the 50 greatest British writers since 1945. Arbitrary year. Um, you know, it was interesting. I watched uh, on my copy of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It was a two-disc thing, and it had a separate disc that had a little half-an-hour documentary about Roald Dahl. And what was interesting is they had like his kids and grandkids on there interviewed, and they talked about how when he would stay over at his house or there was a sleepover or you were his own children, he would come up in the evening, he would tell you a story, and then the next day he would go write it. So like he would just make up the story and then proceed to write the book the next day in his little he had a little shed out back of his house where he used to sit and and write all his stories and with number two pencils like sit there and write them out literally um, by hand. And it was just fascinating to me to think about you know growing up in that house. <clears throat> That would be that would be crazy. You know, just to have that that I mean, just have you to have your dad do that, right? You know, just oh, that's a great idea. I'll hang it. I'll be right back. And I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> right. So it's really interesting, just because as an adult, I have gone back and looked at a lot of his work, and he's got some common themes, like the lonely child uh, beset on all sides by evil adults. Uh, he's got, uh, in general, like greed and wickedness are always punished. But when the kid wins out, it's not like the moral compass of the universe cares and sets itself right. It's just that uh, it is more pro-child than pro-life like is fair. A lot of his books make the clear statement, life is not fair. But I want to tell the sort of story where the kid wins anyway. Yep. Yeah. No, and that's, I think, is highlighted in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I mean, because Charlie is like the penultimate kid down on his luck. You know, my I live in a two-room house. All my grandparents are in one bed. We eat nothing but watery, watery cabbage soup. Yep. And I just looked this up while we were talking, and Road Dahl uh, shot down five Nazi planes in World War II to get the uh, rank of flying ace. Wow. Yes. Way to go, Mr. Dahl. Yeah, so thank you very much for your contribution <laughs> for shooting down five Nazi planes, yeah. <laughs> which is five more than any of us have shot down. Uh, but Four more than I have, actually. Whoa. All right, yeah. So we'll save that for another yeah, show. Yeah, you can't just open the book of my life and start reading in the middle. <laughs> Josh versus yeah. the Nazi. Uh, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> I, would, I would read that. <laughs> well, Charlie, though, so, Charlie, well, you talk about, I mean, he kind of epitomizes the, here's a kid who's who's got really nothing in life and yet he still does the right thing and that you know that just screams all kinds of good things but anyway well yeah with well and the, charlie's relationship with his parents and then willy wonka's kind of family issues uh touch on another common theme in roald Dahl's work is that uh he keys in on the sometimes like love hate relationship kids have with their caregivers where of course they love them but they feel constrained by them and sometimes there is a significant amount of anger and darkness and that's really reflected in these works and even in both of the films Oh yeah. Um, what I well, and that's I don't say in the same vein as that, but the other thing I liked about the way he portrayed Charlie is Charlie was likable. 
he was a, he was a good kid. Yeah, do you know that? I mean, he was he wasn't like the uh, the gilded child who always does the right thing. You know, like the Hardy Boys, we always you know f- do the right thing. I mean, like in the in the both movies, he finds a coin, he finds a dollar bill in the in the snow. He's like, oh, good. I mean, you can see that in the the way they portrayed us. I can feed my family. We can get food for this. But in the same kid version, he's likable in the fact that I really want a chocolate bar right now. Right. I'll use the rest of the money. And actually, they talk about it in the book, which I, you know, I took the time and read over this last week. In the book, he finds the dollar bill in the in the snow and goes and buys. He's like, oh, I got it in his thoughts. He's like, I can get food for the family. We can have a good meal, that sort of thing. And he turns around. And he sees a chocolate thing. He heads right in there. But he's like, I want a chocolate bar right now, which is something totally a kid would do. Sure. And then it's, in the book, it's the second chocolate bar that he buys that uh, gets him the golden ticket because he's still like, I still have 80 cents here. And I can still that's still enough to get some food for us. It's interesting that you, you're talking about dollars and cents rather than pound notes. So in the book, uh, <laughs> Charlie Bucket was clearly an American kid. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't set in, uh, no, I have to remember. In Great Britain. I don't, yeah. I, I don't think they actually commented where I have to go back and look, but I don't think they actually commented exactly where he lived. It's interesting. Well, uh, aside from the no. fact that he lives in the same town as the chocolate factory. Yeah. So, but so the movies, yes, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. That's the first one. That was one with, uh, directed by Mel Stewart and had the, Gene Wilder, I say the because there is only one, and he's amazing, <laughs> as Willy Wonka, which, which I'm sure, go ahead. how many times have you seen it? What? Willy Wonka. No, I was just going to say, I, I thought I wanted to point out that uh, before it got too far ahead, just the title of the film alone had was interesting because the book is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and they, you know the, then there's Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. But the reason they changed the name of the movie to Willy <laughs> Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is because uh, they were directly tying in with the release of the Willy Wonka chocolate bar. Um, so it was a it was a marketing thing because uh, Nestle right. was oh, paying oh, them. It was actually Quaker. Oh, was it Quaker? I'm sorry. Yeah, it was Quaker Oats. It was their first foray into candy with the Willy Wonka line, and they bankrolled this movie pretty much in order yep. to sell candy bars. So it was basically it was a marketing tool. That's why they changed the name. And then the candy bar apparently once they got it on the shelves, melt had issues with melting too quickly. So the candy bar no longer exists in that form, but the movie's still around, even though the Wonka brand is still you can go buy Wonka candy right nerds and bottle caps and all those other although it's getting harder and harder to find bottle caps well uh, just get I, hope a bottle. I hope they don't disappear because I love bottle caps yeah they keep, keep your bottles closed yes <laughs> root, beer, root, root beer bottle caps oh so. you can have the root beer and the cola ones I, I like the other ones like the orange really? and especially the red one. Oh, I love the root beer ones nerds yeah that was rude uh, you jerk what I was talking about the candy Oh, yeah, but you are nerds too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Pat. Uh, all right. So, uh, filming took place in Munich in 1970. It was released by Paramount Pictures and uh, got good reviews, but it bombed at the box office. Wah, wah. Yeah, though it did eventually become, as we know, a cult film because they put it on TV and HBO and Showtime all the time. Uh, it did win an Academy Award in 72 for Best Original Score, and Wilder was no- nominated for a Golden Globe and lost, well, let's see, Golden Globe for Best Actor and Motion Picture Musical or Comedy, but lost both to Fiddler on the Roof. Which, if you're going to lose to another musical, I mean... I'd say Fiddler on the Roof is a definite uh, 
good one to lose to because Fiddle on Roof was awesome. If I were a wealthy man. I mean, plus you got Tupov and I mean, it's got great music in that. So, I mean, you, yeah. you can't you can't feel too bad about that. That's kind of something I regret right now. because like nowadays you cannot find a good musical. Uh, I mean, of that. Mm, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but they're not as pervasive well, as they used to be, for sure. Yeah, I would say, I won't, okay, well, I won't say that you can't find one, but they're more they're more difficult to, you can't go to the movies and be like, oh, which musical do you want to see this week? <laughs> right? That's you know, fair. I mean, most musicals probably have gone the Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar route, and yeah. the musical with live actors has become more rare. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, I started to try and think of a movie title to contradict you, and uh, I mean, Les the first Miserable. Thing, yeah, L- Newsies. Yeah, Les Mis, uh, even that was a couple of years ago, or before that, Moulin Rouge, and that's even further back. You guys oh, are, yeah, I would Chicago? disagree. No, you're going way too far back. Les Mis was this just last year. Well, that's, that's what I was saying. I thought uh, Les Mis was like two years, two, it was no. the same time as Django Unchained. No, really? Yes, it was exactly the same month because as Django Unchained, because uh, there was a uh, thing with uh, uh, what's his face, Samuel L. Jackson, and uh, the lead in Les Mis. Uh, she's one of my favorite mm-hmm. favorite actresses, and I'm just freaking blanking on her name. Okay, uh, Catwoman. Um, Anne Anne, Anne, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. <laughs> 2012. Okay, so December 2012. It says. Yeah, they were both both that winter. I just remember the comedy skit where they were doing the slavery versus lame is like the pain, the pain rodeo. And they were comparing, oh, well, you went through all this and we went through all this for comedy on Funny or Die. Rent, Dream Girls. Uh, oh, good call. Yeah. I mean, those were fairly recent, too. I mean, musicals Chicago have made a bit of a comeback. True. And that, that one was that one was pretty big. I mean, they've kind of made a bit of a comeback from because they really kind of disappeared for a while. I mean, in, in mainstream big you know formats, but uh, they, they definitely have started to make a bit of a resurgence, but never like it was back in the day where, yeah, you'd be like, well, which which musical would I go see? Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, you know what? Sure. And I yeah. think that's the point Mike was trying to make before we sidetracked to like spend 10 minutes to tell him why he was wrong. Yeah, you're wrong, Mike. <laughs> okay. And I, I just realized somebody spelled Twivia, and uh, apparently they've been hanging out with uh, Walter the Wobot from Judge Dredd. Uh, Twivia. I was thinking Mowage is what brings <laughs> us together today. Mowage. Uh, we'll, t- we'll talk about okay. that another day. Yeah, we will. So, uh, some trivia on the. Well, first off, do you want to go? Let's go over who um, who was in it. First off, we know it was Gene Wilder sure. as uh, Willy Wonka himself, and he he did an amazing job. Yes. Of that, uh, Jack Albertson as Grandpa Joe. Uh, you may also know him from such things as The Fox and the Hound and Chico and the Man. Yes, nice. Freddie Prince Senior. Nice pull. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Who was he in The Fox and the Hound? I don't know. He wasn't Copper. Uh, he was way down at the very end. So anyway, so anyway, yeah. Um, no, they, uh, also had Roy Kinnear, who is one of my favorite character, character actors really? as Mr. Salt. Oh, Roy Kinnear. Are you kidding? No, I, I don't even know who he was. Is he related yeah, to he was, Greg? He's Mr. Salt. Now, I don't know if he's related to, I doubt he's related to Greg Kinnear because Greg Kinnear is not British. Oh, good point. Um, but Roy Kinnear, he was the, uh, in, you ever see the movie Help from the Beatles? No, yeah. I have not. He was I the, feel bad about that. It's been a long time, oh, you should. but I've seen it. Yeah, he was in he was in that as the uh, one of the other um, the secondary uh, one of the guys trying to steal the ring from Ringo. Uh, he's let's see, he was in the he was in <laughs> I'm Watership trying to find Down. Movies that, 
Yeah, Watership Down, he was in a Mike and the Mechanics video. <laughs> of all things. There you go. I don't know. Oh, yeah. But, uh, no, he just has, has this great, he's just a great character actor. He just has this great kind of, like, kind of bumbling attitude to it. So One of those guys that you look at and it's like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I know that guy. I've seen, I know I've seen him. In, I mean, he does a lot of TV series. He does an occasional movie, that sort of thing. But if, if you've seen him in, in Help, I mean, I think, he's, I think that's the best thing that he's been in outside of this. Yeah, I was going to say, I was looking at his other stuff, and I don't think I've seen any of these. He was in A Man for All Seasons in 88. Didn't see yeah. it. But, uh, but no, um, yeah, Willy Wonka. I mean, I'm trying. I don't know if you have need to go over the storyline because I'm pretty sure everybody knows it. Right. We've got uh, most of the other actors and actresses are people who we wouldn't be familiar with the names. Uh, Francisca Liebing is Grandma Josephine. Ernst Ziegler is Grandpa George. Dora Altman is Grandma Georgina. Uh, then uh, you've got the kids. Uh, Mike TV was Paris Themen. Uh, Veruca Salt was Julie Dawn Cole. Uh, Denise Nickerson was Violet Beauregard, and uh, Michael Bolner was Augustus Gloop. Gloop. Who, incidentally, this still to this day, he's a, he's an, uh, an accountant, but uh, he still dresses in the lederhosen apparently when he does interviews for things. Because <laughs> everything I came across when I was researching where they are now, just out of curiosity, he's always dressed like the character and always eating something. I mean, talk about playing something to the hilt. I mean, it's yeah, it's weird. My TV still looks pretty dang good. <laughs> well, so he does, looks like a guy you'd want to hang out with. So does Veruca Salt. Peter Ostrom's got a mad bushy mustache, man. The dude's got some skills with mustache growing. Well, which is something that we had the trivia going on. Peter Ostrom, this is the only movie he's ever done. Yep. Uh, and, I mean, a lot of them didn't do a whole lot after that. Denise Nickerson, who was Violet, uh, eventually uh, played one of the characters on the vampire soap opera Dark Shadows, the original series, not the Johnny Depp movie. Oh, yeah, she, that's something we got to do. She did that prior to the show was what I when the interview I watched. Her, that was what her kind of claim to fame was, was yeah. TV serials. Not it was being on series. Nora Collins. Yeah, because I'm looking at the stuff for um for for Willie or for I'm sorry, for Charlie, and it looks like he did the mo- he did the movie, and then he did everything past that is people coming to him for quick interviews about how putting together Charlie and or Willie Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was. So it's like, but most recent thing, 2011, he was on a video short called Veterinarians on Call, which is funny because well not funny because right now he is actually a bovine veterinarian out on the east coast of the United States. Yeah, he said he and, he's doing a, he's got a practice that handles you know dogs cats but they also do horses and other things but his specialty is is uh specifically milk <laughs> like yeah with cows yeah and then once a year he goes to one of the local local uh, schools and they watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with him yep and then he does a Q&A afterwards and apparently the most uh asked question is what did the wallpaper taste like <laughs> <laughs> like snozberries <laughs> come on like a snozberry yeah and so. it, it don't subscribe to the stupid crack.com article that's like oh snozberry obviously at the time meant penises because he used it late in a later book to refer to a penis like, come on, guys. Yeah. I, I, I was so irritated by that because that uh, poorly sourced article, sure, it's a joke. People are like, oh, don't take it so seriously. It's a joke on Cracked. But you see like 20 other articles who wrote, oh, sn- a snozberry is a penis. And this is what it was meant all the time with their only source being a Cracked.com article. It was a throw off yeah. joke. <clears throat> Which and, yeah. and Roald Dahl, although he, you know, isn't like, I don't know, just looking at a picture of him, you wouldn't be like, hey, that guy's a amazing kids author. You know, don't taunt to, or don't mess up his name because the guy, I mean, he literally was a genuinely 
good person. And everything I've read about him has said nothing to contradict that. So, you know, don't don't yeah. taint his memory. No. I agree. So uh got some trivia here. All right. About it. Well, first off, the chocolate river was made of real chocolate, water, and cream. Spoiled fairly quickly and smelled bad. Kind of like us in which college. Makes me- Makes me feel really bad for Augustus. <laughs> oh my god, I can't imagine. Like it's awesome they tried to make a real chocolate river, but I can only imagine what like that's bad chocolate milk. And you know, you guys know what face I make when I see bad milk. Oh, that's a great face. <laughs> it is a great face. Oh no, it comes with a little dance. Yeah. Now the other uh, Earth Ziegler, who played Grandpa George, if you notice him in the bed, was this guy who had the Coke bottle lens glasses. Um, he was nearly blind from poison gas during the first world. World War. What? Yes. Uh, so he was instructed to look for a red light to guide him when his character was meant to be looking in a certain direction. So we paid attention to this in the movie. And it's true because you can see that there's things going on in front of the bed and the poor Grandpa George is trying to look in the right direction, but he's just like a second behind everybody and turning his head and that sort of thing. So I can buy that. Interesting. <laughs> Plus, those glasses are real. That's <laughs> Wow. I mean, yeah. Uh, he also had a pair of shoes, from what I was reading, that he had a pair of shoes that before he would get in the bed, he would take the shoes off and put them under the bed. And uh, they, the producers, the directors, like, look, you've been in this bed for 20 years. You're not going to have shoes by the side of the bed. And they would try to get, you know, like, move the shoes so they weren't in the shot. And he was very insistent on keeping those shoes right there. He loved those. He had a thing with those shoes because those were the only thing that he owned that was pre-World War One. Wow. Yeah. So... Uh, so the other things that uh, the Wonkatania, the the boat, yeah, was on a track in the Chocolate River. So it was like a uh, you know, like a, a jungle adventure trip from Disney World where everything's on the track. But the guy playing the Oompa Loompa thought he was steering it. <laughs> so <clears throat> so Mel Stewart, the director, was like, eh, let him go with it. Well, it looks better. So they, he's, they said that the six Oompa Loompas that they had were were all from almost all of them were from a different country because they couldn't find enough in Germany that were of that stature. And the one the one that they did find didn't speak any English. So they had them. There was they were from at least three other countries that they had flown them all in. And so most of them didn't speak English at all. So they had a really hard time communicating. So that's not a surprise. And and uh, hopefully nobody actually drank any of this river because it probably tasted terrible if that's the case. Oh, yeah. And that that's that whole boat scene is messed up. Oh, that's yeah. okay. Now, let's talk about the boat scene. Good <laughs> God. Had I like I get flashbacks to the boat scene because I think at certain points uh, when I saw it on TV, they actually cut the boat scene because it's disturbing. It is. Yeah. You know, and it's it's one of those where it's like I'm like you, before I watch it, it's one of those where you I you know, the boat scene was bad, but how bad could it have been? I mean, you know, I was a kid a long time. since so I've seen it. No. OK. Centipedes walking on people's faces, chickens getting their head cut off, slugs. I mean, that imagery and then toss in old Willie flipping his shit and doing that poem, which, uh, again, according to the trivia of uh, Violet really thought he went nuts. <laughs> I would. I, <laughs> it was like, he, yeah, when he said, is it raining? Is it snowing? And he starts doing that whole rhyme, which is right out of the book. Um, she was like, all right, this is it. He's gone crazy. And a lot of the, the other thing that they had said is that during the movie, they didn't tell the kids what they were about to see. Oh, so the scene. Well, not not with. I mean, this is actually nicer. The reaction of the kids when they walk into the chocolate room, the very beginning yeah. is genuine. They had not seen that set up until that point. So 
you know, that's cool. Yeah, but, but that, the fact that they did the same thing with the boat ride, oh. not as yeah, cool for the kids. Not as cool. That was frightening. Well, um, I just remember that it was disturbing, and I, I was sitting there watching it, and when it happened, I, I literally was like, oh my gosh, you know, it just reminds me how different of a time it was, because you think about, like, Poltergeist being PG, we've talked about, or some of the other mm-hmm. movies at the time that were PG-rated, but had some some of the most frightening imagery to this day, even. Um, and, and that right there just was proof of that, because here's really why who really is in the book anyway from what I understand not a real likable guy um, not the way Wilder played him and you know you kind of see that part of it in this I think I'm imagining I don't know I haven't since I haven't read the book but and it's it, it still threw me off when I watched it I was like wow this is really messed up yeah I'm actually so, posting the uh, link to the psychedelic boat trip on the 40 going on 14 Facebook page as we speak uh, so people can hear, go back and look at it again, see what we're talking about in case they never saw it or in case they forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just in case you forgot what nightmares you had when you were <laughs> right. a kid. Watch this again. Out of all the eliminations of the kids, what was your favorite in the first one? Oh, I got to think back a minute now. I'm probably going to have to go with uh, Violet and the Blueberry. I mean, it's kind of an iconic moment in the entire movie. I, I like Veruca. Because you get a little bit of that dark comedy that is implemented in this, that they that they have in this, and it's very blatant. And I actually took me aback when I was watching it, because yeah, Veruca drops down into the into the chute after going after the golden egg, which originally were squirrels and walnuts in the book. Um, so she falls down the garbage chute, and then Mr. Veruca or Mr. Salt chases after her, and he falls down he there. Just and goes what does Grandpa? First. Yeah, just head first into that hole. And what does Grandpa Joe say after that? Please tell me to remember. Oh, I don't I, remember the quote. I just watched it he tur- two days he, ago. Oh. He turns to Charlie and goes, it looks like Mr. Salt finally got his wish. And Charlie goes, what do you mean? He goes, Veruca went first. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, holy right. crap. That's dark, man. Well, there oh, are a lot of little stop. lines like that. Don't, please. Yeah. yeah. Like when please. they talk oh. about, oh, spitting. Spitting is a terrible habit. And he looks at her and goes, yeah. I know a worse one. Yeah, when she's got her oh, finger and, up her nose, and, right? Yeah, and um, she almost didn't want to do that because it turns out that as uh, she actually had a crush on Charlie, she was kind of like, "I don't want to pick my nose in front of him. I like him." Ah, uh, interesting. Of, yeah, that's one of the things that I I, I want to point out actually. And, and before I tell you my favorite scene is that uh, one of my favorite things between the two, and uh, I don't know when to talk about it. That's a good time, but was Gene Wilder's reactions to the kids versus Johnny Depp's. Not that I didn't like Johnny Depp's, but Gene Wilder saying those little one-liners, throwing things in there, and then you know that whole bit about, "Oh no, please stop." Where just a, he eventually just kind of gives up. Like I'm not even going to bother trying because they're not listening. Well, he kind of gave up at the very beginning. Right. I mean, he oh that which leads me into the undertone of both movies. I mean, is Ch- Willy Wonka this happy-go-lucky candy maker, or is he a freaking sociopath? <laughs> I mean, here he invites these kids, and he invites these kids into his factory with the definite knowledge that they are going to be eliminated in some way or another. And it's not eliminated. I mean, they all in the in the original movie, you don't see the kids again. So you assume that Veruca has been burned to death or, you know, they're still juicing uh, uh, the, the blueberry girl or whatever. But right. in the in the book, they yeah, in the book, he takes uh, 
uh, there's actually a whole chapter which just says the other kids, and you get to see all the kids leaving the building. Right. So he closes that off with, look, these awful things happened to these children, but they came out different, and they're still okay. Right. That was one of the interesting things about just the way Gene Wilder intended to portray the character. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the show about one of the famous moments he gave in an interview where he made his participation in the movie contingent on the way he wanted to introduce the character. He wanted to have him hobble out with a cane, and then his cane would get stuck, and he'd turn it into a somersault, and it would turn out he'd be okay. And his reasoning was from that moment on, you'd never be able to tell whether Willy Wonka was telling the truth or lying. And that's kind of reflected in the way they handled the eventual fate of the kids, is it would be a disservice, it'd be disingenuous with his characterization to show us for sure that the kids are okay. Because in his characterization, you never know whether he's lying or telling the truth. He says the kids are okay, but are they really? Well, and that's that's what made the character likable, that in Gene Wilder's own charisma, is the fact that he started it out that way. And I think it is interesting that, they, that that was his contingency. And that's when I saw that same interview, it just it blew me away that they were like, okay, yeah, we're, we're good with that. And it's it sold the character. But real quick, before we get too far off, my favorite bit was Mike TV's. I don't know why, ever since I was a kid, when I saw that whole bit, just the whole idea fascinated me of being able to be transferred from one place to another. And I don't know, Mike TV always was... Out of the out of the kids was always my favorite for some reason I don't know why but um, that would be my pick if I had to choose one so we'll leave Pat with Augustus Gloop then yeah <laughs> what you, so there you go Pat you're stuck okay that was your Anything? cue to use the Pat soundboard oh I, should, I totally forgot <laughs> he's waiting for Pat to actually yes it is you freak <laughs> uh, I was thinking of ah but whatever uh, yeah. oh. there you go there you go my, Mike's I completely there just I waiting for, for Pat to say something yeah he's been like, quiet what, yeah why the hell isn't he talking today. <laughs> So, the songs. Yes. Okay, let's talk about the Oompa Loompas. Oh. There were 10, 10 Oompa Loompas, one of which was a girl, which became a game as I was watching with the kid was Spot the Female Oompa Loompa. And everybody, I mean, you can hum that song, you know, the Oompa Loompa, Loompa and everybody knows that. Yeah. And all those songs have that same theme to it. Uh, different than the ones that were in the book, but a little bit catchier. Yeah, I was annoying so. my wife with that theme pretty much the entire three-hour road trip to go camping. <laughs> <laughs> it just kept coming back. as like, I, I, she didn't yell at me about it because she, she knew what was going on, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I got, uh, I got a work. I somebody called me out on uh, a bit of him singing um, "World of Imagination" while I was around walking or make, doing the rounds. Like, are you singing Charlie Chocolate? Charlie Chocolate? Like, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I don't realize that I was doing it, but thank you for pointing it <laughs> Just out. Just find yourself unconsciously singing yeah, those songs. Like, Your imagination. See, that's my favorite and, song from both either of the movies. Wow. From, yeah. from me, the line is just, what do you get when you guzzle down sweets? Yeah. Or the, or the TV. What do you get with too much TV? Well, oh, what's the second line? The Some, something something and an IQ of three. <laughs> it's it's, but uh, no, it's the songs are legendary. Yeah, and di- and totally different from the the new one, which it's, we'll get to that in a bit. But it's so interesting that it, you you look at how different the uh, 1970s original was from the book and how much closer the remake was uh and i we'll have to see when we get to the second one how we all felt about that 
because uh, one of the reasons why it was so different is because Roald Dahl himself was involved in the screenplay, but he couldn't hit his deadlines. So they brought in a Hollywood uh, screenwriter to finish it off for him, and he made some changes, uh, which eventually uh, made Roald Dahl disavow the film and say he wanted nothing to do with it. He was sad his name was on it, and he did not approve of the film at all. Which is unfortunate. But what's also uh, kind of interesting is that despite the book and despite uh, anything else, both movies, and we'll have to talk about how the second screenwriter handled the script, but they're they're very much the same, even though at the same time, they're very, very different from each other. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's right. fascinating to me. And the music is a big part of that, actually. Um, sure. But anyway. Yeah. So you guys so, got anything else about uh, the first Willy Wonka? Well, you can just go. I will point out one small discordant note that I has always bugged me, and is part of Roald Dahl's problem with the first movie was the change making Grandpa Joe and Charlie decide to steal the fizzy drinks and float up to the top, and it, it takes a lot of the purity away from Charlie's character. Yet the ending is mostly the same, and it kind of seems that that was a misstep where the filmmakers did sort of miss the point. I I agree with that because I think that was Grandpa George deciding that they were going, hey, let's drink some of this. I and the whole thing about um, the other candy maker trying to steal Slugworth. his ideas, Slugworth trying to steal the ideas. I agree with you that that does take away from Charlie's character. It doesn't seem for a kid who, you know, I get this chocolate bar and everybody's going to have some of it. I'm going to share it with you. Him and grandpa doing that does seem to almost taint Charlie's character. Yeah. Because it's completely out of the ordinary for him to do that. Right. And you've established that this is the sort of world where the people who make those decisions are not rewarded for them. So if you're true to the themes presented by the films, 100% all the way down the line, even though they kind of worked that out uh, in the film ending uh, that's not the moral that the story is trying to tell it's like if you do this you're not rewarded you are punished see yeah but I almost put it more on on Grandpa Joe's shoulders because in my mind or at least the way I perceived it and still perceive it whether it's reality or not is that uh, my mind is justified to thinking that Grandpa Joe is more to blame for them doing that than Charlie was and by Charlie giving back the gobstopper at the end he proved that you know he may have gone along with bad intentions but at the heart of it all he still is a good person and made the right decision that's a fair point and if you look at the difference in the portrayal between the two grandpa joes original grandpa joe's kind of a dick like just thinking about the uh way he ends up getting out of bed in the uh, remake, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, there is a transition which leads Grandpa Joe to getting out of bed. It's being in, uh, sort of inspired by Charlie's goodness and becoming a almost a childlike individual himself. When the original Grandpa Joe is pretty lazy until there's something cool to do, and then he just springs out of bed and it's like, ha ha, gotcha, fuckers. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm it's, yeah, it's not system. until. Exactly. It's like, on, oh, you got this thing going on? Oh, and, you know, oh, who's going to go with Oh, I'm going to go with him. It's 20 years. And even the kids, even Katie was like, if he's been laying in that bed for 20 years, he's not going to spring out of that thing. Right. He's, he's like going to have no legs left. So, and Charlie's going to have to wheel him around in a wheelchair through the whole 
through the whole thing. But pretty much, they've got one day of physical therapy to get him back on his feet. Yeah, not happening. But I mean, yeah. that that's the way I justified it. And then also the other thing that I was kind of talking about the the original ending of the movie was supposed to just be with Grandpa Joe going Yahoo, and that was the end. But they they uh, realized that that wasn't going to work, so they went back and had the screenwriter add that extra little interchange between Charlie and Willie about you know how. Uh, oh, I don't remember the last line of the film now. Any either of you can you help me out here? In which one? The first the, one or the original? The original, yeah. Oh, I forgot. Uh, let's see. This is great radio. I remember yeah. the ending, but I'm not sure where you're going with this, so I can be of no help. Yeah. Uh, damn it. They they had to rewrite the the ending because it was so like it just didn't make sense. Um. I'm trying to find it here, but now I, I'm not coming across it fast enough. All right. So while Joel's researching that, we're going to take a little break. Sounds good Sound to me. good, guys? Yeah, I've, I've got nothing else. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back in a little bit, and we're we'll talk about uh, the next uh, Char- Willie, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Fox Factory. Factory. So, yeah, I guess they'll have some music. and the- <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> All right. So we'll be back in a little bit, guys. Good morning, Starshine. The Earth says hello. All right. Welcome back, folks. We are now stepping into uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It was a 2005 film directed by the most awesome Tim Burton. Oh, yeah. well, the Tim Burton anyway. Oh, he, he, he's gotten a bit of a stigma over the years. Can I finish up yeah. my thought before the break? Yeah, you were looking up something. Yeah. So I went and I pulled the original script because there was a there was a thing between the screenwriter and Mel Stewart where at the end, the, the glass elevator breaks to the ceiling. Grandpa Joe goes, woohoo. And that's the end of the movie. And they were like, this is not going to fly because Homer Simpson later on will steal your thunder. But anyway, um, he had him go back and rewrite. Well, there's a whole section I'm leaving out. But basically, it boils down to this last little <laughs> sentence here where Willy Wonka says, but Charlie, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything and all uh, that he always wanted. And Charlie says, what happened? And Willy Wonka says he lived happily ever after. And then the credits start. And apparently the the screenwriter was like, this is the hokiest thing I've ever written. He thought it was kind of cheesy and never thought it would fly. So he called the director and he's like, Mel, listen to this. And he read him off the dialogue. And apparently Mel Stewart, his side of things, he's like, it brought me to tears. I thought it was the most beautiful thing and it was a perfect way to end the movie. So perception is everything. But it, you know, it does make this film have more of a solid ending to it. Which, you know, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, there's it goes much beyond that. But, yeah. Oh. Anyway, there you go. There you go. Well, thank you for completing your thought. Yay, thank you. <laughs> so, all right. So, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory gave way to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 2005. Uh, second film adapted of the Not Gonna Say That in the 1967 oh, British book of the same name. I totally no. tried to get you. <laughs> I could barely say it when I knew I was supposed to say it. I can't say it. I'm not going <laughs> to. I didn't I even snuck, see that. <laughs> I totally snuck the I like a, a do a da cha cha back in there to try and get him because I messed it up last time. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Like I said, if I looked at that and tried to say it, I wouldn't be able to say it. I'm not going to just like subliminally be able to say that out of the out of the air. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, I tried. Sorry, Charlie. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, well. yeah I see what you did there. Uh, Chicken of the well, sea. Charles, uh, Johnny Depp was Willy Wonka. Yes. And nobody was surprised by that. And Freddie Highmore as Charlie Bucket. Who is now Norman and, Bates. Uh, yes. Which is kind of An odd telling. turn of fate. Twist of fate. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. For being in this, it might make you, uh, make you go that way. 
Well, they uh, filmed it at Pinewood Studios in the UK, and uh, Burton avoided using digital effects as much as possible. Which is cool. I'll give, like, I am a old-school Tim Burton fan, but I have kind of fallen out of love as we we started that little discussion uh, a minute ago, uh, because I kind of feel like he's run out of ideas, so he just keeps doing the same things. It's like, okay, let's trot out my wife and Johnny Depp and kind of do the same thing again. Well, she didn't have that big of a role in this one as she did in the previous one. At least in this one, uh, Johnny Depp didn't kill her. Yeah, but, but they she, still had. Uh, it was all about teeth, though. Burton's oh. got a thing about teeth, like Kubrick had a thing about clean bathrooms. He's got a. It's a. It's one of his trademarks, and there was a lot of funky teeth in this. Yeah, yeah, there were to the nth degree. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But you're yeah. right. I mean, Tim Burton has kind of lost favor in a lot of people's eyes, especially after Dark Shadows. You know, that was, from what I hear, a pretty big debacle. I haven't seen it. Yeah, Dark Shadows, Alice in Wonderland, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Just from my perception of when I was looking forward to seeing a Tim Burton project to go on, really? That that was that era has, was sort of the turning point for me personally. Though, I had not seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory until preparing for the show. So really? my perceptions of it, yeah, are actually only a few hours old because I started watching it at like 7 a.m. this morning. And I was trying to keep an open mind despite that fact. Hmm. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. I mean, that's great, though. I like when that happens. But at the same time, that, that surprised me because I, I tuned out to Burton probably a little probably would have been after this i don't know that i've really seen too much recently or had any real desire like you know when he finally made a full-length frankenweenie or like we said dark shadows i had zero interest in you know it's like uh, try something new at this point right exactly so yeah but that was the reason i hadn't seen it is because i'd fallen out of love with tim burton but uh, i decided to give it my full attention try and shed myself of all my preconceptions about him about the original movie about the book whatever and take it at face value we'll go through the movie and i'll let you guys know where i arrived all right well it came out in 2005 it's the same story as the original they uh, don't really change too much up from it with Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka, Freddie Highmore as Charlie Bucket, uh, David Kelly as I thought a pretty cool Grandpa Joe, Helena Bonham Carter as Mrs. Bucket, Noah Taylor, who all of us sat there and tried to figure out who Noah Taylor was and why we knew him uh, until we, uh, one of us figured out that he is actually the uh, nerdy associate of Laura Croft in the first Tomb Raider movie. Huh. And yeah. he, he's he's one of those guys, though, that also he does fall into that kind of, hey, I know that guy from somewhere face. Um, mm-hmm. and he's got he really is an impressive actor, but he gets a lot of character roles. There's a great movie, though, called Red, White and Blue that he did, um, where if you ever want to see him kind of take his his persona and just show you what he can really do, go watch that movie. It's not easy to watch. It's kind of a difficult movie to watch, but he is so mm-hmm. amazingly good in that movie. Um and he really is. He really is a really good actor. So, but yeah, you're right. He well, was the nerdy associate in Tomb Raider movies. But going down, Mrs. Beauregard is uh, Miss Missy Pyle. Uh, if you recognize her from the uh, uh, what was it? Not Dodgeball. She, she was in that though. But the she played Dodgeball. one of the aliens in. Oh. Yeah, she, no, she was in Dodgeball, oh. but it was also. Oh yeah, Sarah well, actually pointed uh, out. Uh, yeah, the Tim. I know Tim Allen. Yeah, Galaxy, Galaxy Quest. Quest. She yeah. played one of the aliens in Galaxy Quest, the one that. Uh, oh right. Okay. Monk Monk falls in love with and has hentai relations with. Uh. Tentacles. Uh, James Fox is Mister Salt, and 
Deep Roy as all of the Oompa Loompas, which I think was a hilarious way to pull it off. I thought having the same character as all the Oompa Loompas was twisted and weird and really fun to watch. Much more fun to watch than the uh, Oompa Loompas that didn't know how to speak English in the first one. <laughs> well, I like the original Oompa Loompas better, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm with Joel really? on this. Really? Yeah. I like Deep Roy. I don't I have like, a problem I thought, with Deep Roy. Yeah, I like Deep Roy, oh. and I thought that they <laughs> used him in some very interesting ways in this, and they had like different Oompa Loompas in different costumes, and that was fun, but I still, it wasn't enough for me to say, oh, I, well, I prefer these to the originals. Oh, all right. Well, and then Christopher Lee as Willy Wonka's dad. Now, I don't remember, I know in the first book there is no correlation to anything about Charlie, or about Willy Wonka's family this i but i don't remember from the great glass elevator if there is any discussion of uh willy wonka's family in that one i see i read that book as a kid i actually read that one and i don't know if i read charlie and the chocolate factory but i remember reading charlie and the great glass elevator with my mom and i don't know i don't remember what happened in it to be honest the only thing i seem to remember was that they talked about the gobstopper still being a thing like he got one or had one and or somebody had one and they were still able to suck on it and it was he was right about it like it never did lose its flavor or whatever but other than that i don't yeah remember. no i yeah, don't it's... think that there was anything about because the great glass elevator as far as i could tell was more about like space and the rest of the world's reaction to uh the chocolate factory and vermicious kids. Right. It is, maybe maybe it was supposed to be a trilogy. It's like Willy Wonka and his daddy issues, which is kind of what this movie in a lot of ways turned into. Yeah. That I mean that's I were you know before I had said that Willy Wonka was more of a sociopath, sociopathic in the uh, the original one. There is something evil at the bottom of this movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I think that he had a very diagnosable mental condition. And at first I couldn't tell what it was. uh, But once again, my wife pointed out something that I should have seen having worked with troubled kids is he was playing uh, this character as someone who had mild autism spectrum disorder, uh, maybe something more like uh, Asperger's syndrome. I could see that. Where he didn't quite understand social conventions and was making his faces with what he thought was socially appropriate. And, and that's that's right. That's uh, I, I, Undiagnosed Asperger's uh, is a way to interpret the character. Yeah, I can totally agree with that. Especially in the way like when the kids introduce themselves to him. He has no and no real way. You can tell that he doesn't know how to interact with anybody. Right. You know, it's like he has this this separation from everything that's going on. When the Willy Wonka puppets show up at the very beginning, they turn and they see him standing off to the side. And he's just kind of like, well, I wanted to watch it. That's why I'm over here. You know, it's I know we put this whole thing together. I could, you know, I, I'm I want to see it. That's why I'm standing next to you and probably not in flames. But it right. <laughs> but this one, I mean, it the children were almost plastic. Does that make sense? Huh? Especially Augustus. I mean, they uh, almost plastic. They looked not not so much Charlie, but Augustus Galoop looked like he was airbrushed. Uh, okay, you're not talking necessarily their characterization. No, 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 no. Oh. I'm talking about the the physical uh, look of them. You look at look at uh, look at Augustus Galoop when you first meet him. He looks 
artificial. Okay, I could see that. Because uh, I actually thought the characterization of the specific children, uh, in addition to being truer to the source material, was actually uh, a little bit more developed than the original. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with you on that. I just think that the way that they, you know how, he, how Tim Burton does that, everybody looks just a little bit weird. Yeah. In this one, the kids looked almost plasticine. Okay, I could see that. Yeah, and it's almost like they weren't either that they were a an, a stereotypical kid or they're like an archetype of a kid or they're like almost like the action figure. The, this is the action figure kid of what this kid is type of kid is supposed to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I got you. But, but um... Augustus Gloop in this one, uh, I believe, actually looked like he had an eating problem, whereas in the first one, he just looked like a hefty kid. Okay, that's fair. Who would grow up I to just, be an accountant. Yes. Uh, the But, I don't know, let's start at the beginning, the chocolate room. That was always the... Uh, even before the beginning, you get your first uh, hint that something's wrong in the chocolate factory with the crazy puppet show. Even before it catches fire, it's a little sinister. Oh, very much so. Mm, oh, yeah. Even worse than It's a Small World. And it's worth uh, mentioning, I just happened to notice that a half hour has progressed in the movie before we even see our first opening of those curtains. Uh, Just the establishment of the world, the characters as they get the golden tickets, what sort of history the company has had. All that was really interesting stuff. And uh, we just started to talk about, oh, let's go to the beginning in the chocolate factory. It's actually almost 40 minutes into the movie before we hit that chocolate room. Right. Yeah, it does take they, and I think that's that's for the better though. Yeah, I mean, because that's you take this time to actually. I mean, the original, you see the kids and like, oh yes, this is Augustus Gloop. He eats a lot, and you know, he eats, you know eats candy bars all the time. Where in this one, they the way they portrayed all the kids, and you got to see the family's reaction, Charlie's family's reaction to seeing each of these kids. Right. And which also follows through in the book. I mean, I, I will say that dialogue wise. They pulled out, I want to say, a good 75% of what was in the book directly into into the dialogue in the well, movie. Well, and that goes to one of the trivia bullets I threw in here, where the screenwriter, John August, never saw the original film. And so he was basing the entire script off of the book. Um, so, you know, he took a different slant on it. And what what's kind of ironic about it is, is that when you watch the films back to back like we have, they really are... I'm almost identical in a lot of ways, but there's slight variations that make them completely different from each other at the same time. And not in the way that you usually see with remakes and, and original material. It, it, to me, it felt different. Like they were closer to each other than most of the remakes we've watched. But in at the same ways, time, yeah. Yeah. we're very, very different at the same time because of the mm-hmm. slight little differences. Yeah, and again, they did a good job of making Charlie likable in this one. Oh yeah, well, Freddie Highmore is that—I mean, he's that kid, though. You know, he's that—you just want to—he's just got a nice—he's got a certain charisma to him that makes him very likable. Even as Norman Bates, he's sympathetic. Yeah, and it's—and it's also again with the whole—I get my—I get my chocolate for my birthday, and here you go. Oh, everybody gets a piece. You know, that sort of thing. I mean, he's sharing the chocolate. He does a whole thing where he goes into the store and buys the candy bar after he finds a $10 bill, which I thought is interesting also because he goes from finding one coin in the original one to finding it, I guess, would be the equivalent of you know finding a $10 bill nowadays. Sure. But I do agree with you, Josh, in that having the buildup and the description of why we should dislike each of these children at the very beginning. So they come into it and you're like, especially uh, Violet. Violet and her mom were... Well, you know people like that. 
That's the thing I was going to say for for a living. I live in you know living in the Chicago suburbs. I can probably drive down the street and find three or four of those families. Well, yeah. and this, um, go ahead. I was just saying uh, the hyper competitive like child is a miniature version of the parent. That's a very popular cultural archetype right now. Well, oh yeah, and then and it, then the Mike TV thing too. I mean that's that's taking what's people how people view video games and and things like that and taking it to a again a a hyper realistic kind of place but at the same time it's also very true because you know a lot of those kids that do play those types of games kind of get that mentality not that they're going to go off and shoot up a school but you know it's what? the perception versus the reality and that was the thing is mike tv in this movie wasn't so much violent but he was the sort of kid who ran the show he was smarter and more technologically inclined than his father who was even established to be a teacher and he was the sort of kid that like talks down to his parents uh pretty much says this is the way things are and you're stupid if you disagree and the parents don't know what to do so they give in mm-hmm and the way he found the ticket also is different than the previous versions, because this one he figures out some sort of algorithm. Well, if you do figure out this, 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 and this, it's obvious that the ticket would, would have been in this store at this time at this place. And uh, Willy Wonka later on actually says to him, ah, you know the kid who figured out the system, you know, who figured out the secret, and that's how you got the ticket. So, which I thought was kind of cool. I also was trying to figure out what video game he was playing. Kept pausing the movie, <laughs> and it, sure. I looks like it was. It's nothing I recognize. I thought it was Doom at first, but it wasn't. So I think it's just some random uh, video that they threw together. I was going to put, say put it on the screen. Yeah, they, or they made something just for the. Yeah, the movie. that's what it looks like. So, but uh, no. So each of them come in. We meet the family. We meet. I like the fact that he has both parents in this one. Because they remember they he didn't have a dad in the first one, right? And that's that's actually a running joke in my family. Oh, Disney Disney movie or a kids movie? I wonder which parent is dead. <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, that's that's as a as a father with two kids, you watch these movies and you have so many times where they don't have a whole family. Right now, I know that there are a lot of families out there that don't have both parents or one parent is, you know, has gone or is missing or, you know, whatever situation they have. But for a family that has both parents, it's really kind of rough to find to go to every movie and be like, oh, well, here's the mom and the kids living together and the father has left them. Plus, or the father ma- mom has died. Plus, it's a very functional family. It's a loving family and it's a very realistic portrayal of, of a family that actually is working versus this thing now, which is, you know, you've got to, if you, they are together, it's a messed up dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always fighting or one of them's some sort of derangement or something. You know, I hear they're both very Well, there was some derangement in that family, but it was, it was with know, the grandparents. Grandma, Grandma, George, Grandma Georgina telling everybody that she liked grapes all the time. Well, yeah, she was obviously uh, coming apart at the seams a little bit mentally, but a lot of the other families for the kids, even if they had both parents, it was either the relationship with the parents to their kid, which was messed up, or in the case of a lot of them, you only ever see uh, Veruca's dad. You only ever see Violet's mom. You mm-hmm. see both parents for Augustus, but they're clearly not making good decisions with their kid. And you only yeah. see Mike TV's dad. Well, uh, you see Veruca. You see Veruca's mom. Oh, that's right. She but, was. Uh, she was drinking, sitting in the background, always drinking. Yeah, it was okay. So it was only two. It was Mike TV and Violet, where a parent is missing. Well, you're right. I, well, with Charlie's family, uh, with all the grandparents, I thought Grandpa was it. Grandpa George was the the cynical one that you know was the voice of the voice of cynicism, who then has a has a actually has a character arc <laughs> right in the middle of the movie, which was one of my favorite mm-hmm. moments. Yeah, yeah, of the newer one. One thing I did like between the two families, uh, Charlie's family and the in the new one, like you said, it's very functional. They're very 
real. Uh, they're more realistic because like he loses his job at the factory. Yes, he lost his job at the factory. We're going. You know, it's not the everything. Well, we'll find something. You know, there is not this freak out. And it's it rolls on as the family stays together and stays tight. In contrast to the a lot of okay, uh, something that was pointed out to me by Suzanne when we were watching the first one is that the whole family's telling Charlie, "Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. You know you're not going to win this ticket. You're not going to. You're not. This is not going to happen, Charlie, just because of the situation that we're in." And then Charlie goes to visit mom at the washing. We're at the at the laundromat, and then after he leaves. She immediately sings a song about how her and Grandpa Joe are going to make everything better for him. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it just seems like they didn't want his expectations to be uh, to set him up for failure in a world where that happens all the time. They're they're trying to protect him. Yeah, yeah. But I I do agree with Joel that I did like the family interaction a little bit better in in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory versus Willy Wonka. Plus, I like Grandpa Joe a lot better in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. David, I'm with David Kelly. Was it? Yeah, I believe. Yeah, is is a much more likable guy, and his intentions were a lot truer. It was more genuine. Well, they also and they also entered in that thing that he used to work at the factory. That was not in the book. I wondered about that. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you. Yeah, they added that in, which I but I think that was a good a good decision is because that gave us the time before entering the ch- the chocolate factory to give a backstory on what happened and to give a better connection on why Grandpa Joe would go with him to begin with. You know, Grandpa Joe used to work there. Of course, he's going to want to go back in there and see him. Well, the, you know, versus the first one. Hey, hey, we're doing something cool. I'm out of bed now. It, you know, give right. you a little more insight into into Willy Wonka too, because you got to see him before all the thievery happened. Because I was trying to explain. Juliana was watching it with me, and she was asking. She's like, "Why did he shut down the factory? You know, why did he even close it down to begin with? And then why did he reopen it?" And it's like, well, how do you explain corporate espionage to to an 11 year old? Um, and the fact that he, you know, he said he was closing it forever, air quotes. Um, yeah. But he just was trying to weed out the, he was basically, he was a big kid. Basically he was, he was taking his toys away from everybody because somebody was messing with his stuff. Yep. And mm-hmm. until he could find a way to protect his things, he wasn't going to let everybody play in his factory again. Um, and so I thought that was an interesting way to show kind of the before, like, this is how he started. This is what happened. And I, I thought it was a nice touch too, I, I think. And it did give grandpa Joe more of a motivation, um, yeah. and a realistic motivation, not just, a am a snarky, uh, selfish bastard. Right. So, okay. So some tr- we've gotten to where Mike started with the, Oh, the beginning of the movie. We know there's something rotten in the state of Denmark with the creepy puppet show. And then we're to the chocolate room. <laughs> we've, we've come Finally. back around. Yeah. where Mike wanted to start. <clears throat> yeah, no, it's... Well, The Chocolate Room, I think... Oh, again, with reading the book, I, like, finished it right before I watched it. The one, a lot of this... I say the second one was a lot more true to the book, even in props, because in the book, they describe the boat as being this giant pink can made out of candy boat. And as, it, as that thing came around the corner, it is exactly the description as it is in the boat. I mean, in the book. Okay. So, and the... Again, with the the dialogue, the fact that they keep the dialogue through the entire, it, it keeps more to the heart. I wish that there was a little bit less of that social disturbance in the second one. I mean, if I think just I think Burton just needed to turn the weirdness meter down two notches, and this would have been a lot more enjoyable movie. What do you mean, like Mike TV smashing the hell out of the 
the pumpkin? Well, yeah. Or yeah, Mike TV like, oh, Dad, he said enjoy ourselves. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to start randomly destroying things. Or Augustus looking like if he was left alone in there, he was going to die probably of diabetes. <laughs> just going to eat that's... himself to death. Yeah, exactly. He had what... no control. But that's what happened in the book. In the book, everyone else he says, go ahead, try the grass. The grass is edible too. And everyone reaches down and grabs a couple strands of grass and eats that. In the book, Augustus Gloop drops to all fours and just starts grazing. Really? Yeah, he's two-fisting it into his mouth in the book. Interesting. See, I thought that was just a, a Tim Burton, I'm going to ratchet things up a little bit. No, that what I, yeah, it's like that was that was right on in the way that they, they, they described it in the original in the uh, in the book. Yep. But uh, how are the Oompa which Loompas I was surprised at too described in the book? I've I've one of the, one of the other things I had on my list. Um, question. they look like little Samoans. So more like oh, okay. the, this movie. Yeah, yeah, they're I mean, but they're all dressed the same, and there's whole families of them, and there's they at one point they cross over a whole city where there's little kids and moms and dads and that that sort of thing. There's more of a uh, tribe of families that he brought over versus all these clones, which I did. I did like the clone thing. Like I said, I thought the whole Deep Roy thing was cool and goofier than the first one, and at least in my opinion, especially when he did the heavy metal scene. Yeah, oh. <laughs> when when he was dressed up as uh, what's it? What were they trying to pull? It off? looked was like it a David Lee Roth kind of Van Halen in the mid to late eighties. It was a hair metal mashup, basically. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. Okay. Or maybe I even see. Def Leppard. That was just the impression because it almost looked like the songs that the Oompa Loompas did had definite like shout outs to specific times in music history. I don't know that it was a progression of an exact decade to decade like moving to the future, but some of them it's like, okay, this is clearly 80s metal. This is clearly 50s rock. This is 60s psychedelia. Yeah. Uh, Pete Townsend. Oh. That's what it oh, looks okay. like. Yeah, I just found a uh, a picture of. Let me see. I'll send it on the chat. So maybe more a little late seventies uh, metal than early eighties. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a huge link, but there you go. Um, yeah, because he's when he has those like the wings coming off of him, he looks more like it, it. It was the Who from when they did Tommy. Oh, okay. So, well, I mean, one of one of the times they oh, did Tommy. Oh, talking about Roger Daltrey, not Pete Townsend. Yeah, Roger Daltrey. Yeah. I'm sorry, not Peter Townsend. But yeah, it's and again with these ones. They, how about the what happened to the kids? Okay, the squirrel situation. Okay, Augustus Gloop gets eaten up by the chocolate. Same thing, yeah. Chocolate yeah. thing, same thing. Uh, Veruca Salt, in the book it was squirrels, and she's a bad nut versus a bad egg. And the squirrels actually did come at her and carry her and throw her down the, the tube. Which I think back in the, in 71, they just it wasn't possible. Well, sure it was, because those squirrels were not CGI. <laughs> well, but I mean, yeah. right, but I mean that, like, budgetarily speaking. Oh, I, what I'm saying is that though. I thought it was amazing when I found out that those were actually trained squirrels. Oh yeah, no, and that that's oh, yeah. one of the there's a whole there's a whole thing on the DVD about it. There's a whole uh, featurette talking about the trained squirrels. Yeah, which is which is amazing. So yeah, I, they, they got those. Yeah, so but you got those, and the squirrel actually does knock the dad down the uh, down the pipe. So yeah, I massively preferred uh, that end for Veruca. I say end, even though she didn't end there. But th- that exit from the tour for Veruca in the remake to the original. Yeah, I think it was much better Much better done. I did find the whole, oh, I can't find the key. Oh, where's the key? Oh, oh it's not that one. And then at the very end, after she's already down the pipe, he's like, unlock. Right. I'm like, you sick bastard. It was his, you... it was his take on that. Oh, no, please stop. Don't. Yeah. So and then the oh the uh, the boat ride oh not nearly as terrifying no 
It was more like a a fun park ride, like a theme park. Yeah. Well, did this also come out in 3D? I'm sure it did. Everything seems to. I don't know. This this was early on for that. 2005. Right. But I mean, that the 3D craze kind of has been in the past five, six years. So maybe at the beginning of it. But I don't I'm not sure. That's a good question, actually. I think yeah, of, go, yeah, Josh, look that up. Yeah. Oh, he already is. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you could be right because uh, I thought this was right before that really started to become a big thing. Because it could have bloody... been right at the beginning, but you could be right. This might not have come out in 3D. Because My Bloody Valentine was the one that I always think as being kind of the one of the earlier like. It was like that was the one that really kind of started to make it mainstream. And that was 2009 um, when they really started to do it with like every movie. That one kind of proved that you didn't have to have a huge budget to make a good 3D movie. And I know we're kind of getting off topic, but, uh, you know, because it wasn't a huge budget movie. It was a horror movie, so it doesn't have millions of dollars to throw at special effects like Avatar or something like that. But yet it it pulled off a lot where people were really impressed with it. And so that's where it kind of became 3D became a big thing where anymore it's like if a movie is 2D, it's like, hey, that's a specialty. Okay, it does look like at least in the credits for uh, the technical team, there was someone who was credited as a 3D integration lead as a digital effects expert. So at least somewhere it even if it was like limited like IMAX kind of thing, it did come out in 3D somewhere. Yeah, it's one of those scenes where they said, put your glasses on now. Oh, yeah. And actually, I can I mentioned IMAX, and that's exactly where uh, it uh, premiered. Uh, July 15th, my birthday, actually, in 2005, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was digitally remastered uh, as an IMAX 3D experience. Okay, which I can totally see the boat ride being. So there you go. It, it, was yeah. in, it wasn't in wide release theaters, but it was an IMAX 3D. Out of the second movie, which was your favorite elimination? Uh, for me, Veruca Salt again. Yeah, uh, well, again. We, oh, no, sorry. It was Violet in the first one, Veruca Salt in the second one. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought Mike TV was pretty cool this time around, especially having the homage to 2001, where the chocolate bar is floating in front of the gorillas, the monkey men in the TV, and they're playing the, the 2001 music as the chocolate bar is floating in front of them. Right. And then Mike TV, I was really, I, I had not recalled what had happened to him. And initially I was kind of concerned that Mike TV was going to pop up in the middle of the monkey minute and get like torn to pieces. <laughs> but we're not going But that the dark. song where they're, where they're chasing him around the television, I thought that song was pretty cool. Yeah. See, I, I've never been a Violet Beauregard fan for how she went, but uh, I I'd still have to stick with Mike TV. Although I'd say Veruca was probably a close second because I, I did. I liked the nut sequence better than the bad egg. Right. Yeah. If I had well, to Patrick, choose. what Patrick, what did you like? Well, you <laughs> good point, sir. <laughs> that was a good point. Patrick yeah. is a smart. Okay. So, uh, some trivia. Well, Deep Roy played every Loompa to himself as himself, and wound up getting paid for each individual uh, performance, and they raised his salary to one million dollars. Nice. Which is nuts. <laughs> yeah, it is. But uh, ne- you put that much work into it, so. Oh yeah, and he did a great job. And for him to be the you know the narrator at the at the end, and then for him to be the analyst, you know all those little. I loved seeing like every time you'd come around the corner, he'd be doing something different. I think my favorite guy out of all of them was him sitting in that lounge chair watching TV, just kind of like you know when all of them crowd in front of the television, he's like, "Guys, I'm watching TV." Right. You know that that was fun. Uh, Nestle provided eighteen hundred and fifty bars of real, real chocolate, of which Augustus Gloop ate uh, two thirds of them. Yes, I don't know. Maybe. which is funny 
because uh, the Willy Wonka is a let's see the UPC on the giant chocolate bar. This is some of the trivia. Is uh, this string of numbers? That is a UPC number for a seven ounce bar of Hershey's milk chocolate, huh. which is a competitor of Nestle. Interesting. But, yeah, which owns Willy Wonka. Would Nestle owns Willy okay, Wonka? Okay, so candy, yeah, so. Does, did Nestle pick up the entire Quaker brand or just the? Uh... I don't know. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't have been. I, I'm going to go with yes, because Nestle is like what, what they're with Disney. Sure. Nestle to Lousa. Let's see. The uh, What was the other trivia that we had in here? Uh, Charlie's dad. Yeah, Charlie's dad worked at Smilex Toothpaste. I did not notice that initially. Oh, yeah. But Joker. I think that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, that was the brand for Joker in the Tim Burton Batman. Yeah, which brings up the question, is this in the same universe as Batman? Da, 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 no. Oh, not at all. <laughs> Though I would love to see a Willy Wonka and Batman crossover. That would be... It's in the works, I'm sure, somewhere. They all get together and have their parent issues. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole list of... Lists of people, all, okay, list of people that were considered for the role of Willy Wonka. Range from Jim Carrey, which would I could see. Steve Martin, huh? Christopher Walken. <laughs> okay, that'd be interesting. Nicholas Cage. Yeah, no. Yeah. Will, Will Smith. Will Smith would have been if like Michael Bay directed it or somebody else. Tim Burton wouldn't no. let that happen, I don't think. But I think Will Smith would have been more toward. I think Will Smith would have played it more like the book. Huh. But then, because in the book he was this spry, all over the place, eccentric type of guy, and was not. There was no darkness to Willy Wonka in the in the book. I mean, he was kind of oblivious to what was happening to the kids. Like at the very end, he turns around. And he's like, all right, kids. Oh, wait, where'd they all go? Right. He's kind of oblivious to everything going on around him. But he's more childlike in the book. So you go down the list of all the people they have here, though. I, honestly, I mean, Gene Wilder to me will always be Willy Wonka, even though I, I like Johnny Depp's performance. I just Wilder was the perfect choice and will always be the perfect choice. All the people on here, I can see them making it their own to the point where they detract from the, the whole point of the movie. Patrick Stewart, I could not see. And then Rowan Atkinson, though? Mm, see, uh, I don't know. I think he would play more like like the Gene Wilder version. And then what about Richard Gere? <laughs> His name's not on the list. <laughs> yes, it is, you freak. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pat, I didn't see it, but it's really not there. Oh yeah, sorry, bud. So, uh, so, and Marilyn Manson also said he wanted the part, and I'm glad that he didn't get it. <laughs> beautiful people, beautiful people. Eat my candy, eat my candy. I mean, that would, I don't know where that would have gone. If you want the full list, you can find it on IMDb.com. Just look up uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Look in the trivia section, but just look at the whole list, and and we won't go over everybody. But just try and imagine each one of the people in the role, and you would see that it would have been a totally different movie and it had to have been directed by somebody else. Cause unfortunately I just, I can't see any of those people filling in that role and, and the, probably the worst one on there. No offense, Dwayne Johnson. I love Dwayne Johnson. I mean, he, to me is charisma incarnate. Dwayne Johnson's on there. The rock. Yeah. He, 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 Oh my God. He quite possibly than Ben Stiller though, but he, he, I think could, it brings charm to anything he does. And I think he's amazing. I love him to death, but in that role, it would never have worked. It just was the wrong choice. So I don't know why he's even on the list, but anyway, well, so well. So before we're, we're heading towards the end, yes. uh, what do uh, we all think? I think is the big question. Oh yes. Need to oh wait, I, I just want to. I want to get this one trivia. Oh, okay, sure. We always know that Danny Elfman has everything to do with Tim Burton's movies. Yes, Danny Elfman sang all the songs and overdubbed himself oh. dozens and dozens of times to be the voice of the Oompa-Loompas. Just like Deep Roy. Yep. So they overdubbed. They overdubbed Deep Roy a whole bunch of times visually, and overdubbed Danny Elfman a whole bunch of times audioly. Audioly. Orally. Help me with this, Patrick. Yeah, that's about right. That's right. So, given the two of them, old or new? Boy. 
don't put me in this position, mommy. See, this is how we what? You, <laughs> shut up. You already know what I'm saying. I'm gonna watch make a movie about you, chocolate and mommy issues. Oh. Okay. You have only only can have one. Gene Wilder or Donnie Depp. Which one do you take? Oh, I hate you. We do this at the end of every show. I know, you but tell me you didn't see this coming. This is the problem: is as I was watching both the movies, and I and I was really like trying to pick them apart as much as possible. Each movie has so many different things about it that I found appealing, and that I that I didn't like. Not a, not so much I didn't like because I like them both, but I really it's it's like it's like a hair apart from each other because although they're the same film, they have enough differences that they're independent, but they're both so well done and it's such a just a classic story that it's hard to differentiate. I think where I'm going to draw the line personally, I'm going to go with 71, the original. The only reason, the only difference for me is that I think some of the backstory with Christopher Lee and. Um, the whole dent, uh, the whole orthodontic appliance and all that to me just got a little bit too Burton-y where it kind of detracted, in my opinion, from the story a bit. Granted, it gave him more of a reason for the why he did things. But at the same time, to me, it just kind of I felt like it was a little too far off the mark. If you could take elements of both and mush them together into one movie, like you re-edit it all, it'd be the perfect film. But you can't do that. So I'm going to go with the original. And I'm I'm really on the fence. How about you, Mike? I take all that stuff that Joel said. There were some things I liked from the original. There's like the songs I liked from the new that I would wish they had been able to do in the first. But I agree with him. In my heart, Gene Wilder's always going to be Charlie or always going to be Willy Wonka. And I just think that that's he is the penultimate. You think of Willy Wonka, you think of Gene Wilder. You, he's the second Johnny to Depp. last. Penultimate means oh, sh- second to last. Yeah, he is. Because <laughs> okay, he did it before yeah, okay. Johnny oh, Depp. Gotcha, okay. Ooh, pulled my ass out of that one. <laughs> Whoa. Nice. That technically, that's correct. <laughs> yes. Sorry. He says, smiling. <laughs> but no, I, th- I think I would probably go with, the, I'm going to go with the first one. Just because it's, it, there's more, there's more love for it. Okay. You know what I mean? Watched it when I was growing up. Remember seeing it when I, you know, read the book, watched the movie, paired them together in my head that those two things, the book and the movie go together. I know the new one follows the book better, but. Like I said, I wish Burton had turned the weirdness dial down just a little bit. All right. Oh, boy. This is what I've been been waiting for. I've been thinking about this for a while. And when looking at the original book, discarding all of the, like, differences between a book and a movie, uh, discarding the differences between a remake and an original, I tried to evaluate this on its own merits. Throw out the fact that I've fallen out of love with Tim Burton. For the first half hour, I was absolutely enthralled by this movie. I was like, wow, this is the the world that they've created, what they see in terms of like the chocolate factory, uh, the people. I like the new Grandpa Joe, all the kids I like. And then Johnny Depp showed up. And I understand what they were trying to do with his character, that his like disassociation and his awkwardness and his whatever was on purpose, I still did not enjoy it. I, I Just like on its own, like this is a case of the whole being lesser than the sum of its parts where I could key in on any number of things. I like this better than the original. I like that better than the original. But in the end, this is a story mostly about Willy Wonka and I just didn't like Depp's performance. The choices he made, uh, they creeped me out and not in a way which entertained me or that I felt fit with the sort of story that 
I would find entertaining as a movie. And at the end, I was just left a little skeeved out by the whole thing. And I ended up just plain not liking it, despite the fact that I could pick it apart and say, this scene was better than the original. That scene was better than the original. The choices they made here, the overall message was better than the original. But the fact is, is the original worked as a movie. And for me, the second one didn't. I actually just really didn't like it. Interesting. Hmm. I did not see that coming. I thought you were going to be like, you know what? I'm not back in love with Tim Burton, but I like this movie. No, That's where I thought you were headed. And actually, I think a lot of my criticism of the movie, some of it has to lie with Burton, but a lot of it has to lie with, I think Johnny Depp has sort of become undirectable. And he took some, uh, he made some choices in this. I just kept watching him and I'm uh, looking at his almost alien mannerisms and the way he is. And whatever else you believe about the reality of uh, the individual I'm going to compare him to, I kind of felt that Willy Wonka in this was very similar to the public's perception of Michael Jackson. Maybe not the reality of who Michael Jackson was, Mm -hmm. but he felt like the stereotypical individual that people claim Michael Jackson was. Uh, even down to he even kind of looked like him and skeeved me out so much that I ended up not liking the movie because of it. Hmm, interesting. I did not see that coming. So hmm. yeah, overwhelmingly uh, because of that fact, I'm going to say I prefer the 1971. Wow. I I, th- I didn't think we were all going to fall on the same side of the fence. Pat, did Pat have any thoughts on it? I mean, which one he preferred? No. Well, you can go Got to be the dissenting vote. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So, yeah, there we go. I guess we're all watching the uh, 71 version. All right. So what do we got on tap for next week? Next week, we are doing metal. Yeah. Not not hair metal. We've already done that. We are doing heavy metal. So it's awesome that we're actually taking a listener suggestion that we got during this show. Yes. Mainly because after he made that suggestion, we all went, do we know what we're doing next week? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I guess we'd better figure that out then. Yes, you got to think about that. So, uh, yeah, next week we're doing uh, heavy metal. We're going to go back and we're going to listen to some old heavy metal bands and listen to some what's, what they're doing now. And we'll let you look on our Facebook feed and our Twitter feed. We'll let you know who we're listening to. Yeah, I definitely would expect with. some Ozzy Osbourne, some Metallica. Probably looking forward to now some of the more popular mainstream metal. Maybe like Avenged Sevenfold, Lamb of God. So, yeah. should be pretty sweet. Yeah, buddy. Awesome. So, uh, again, if you guys want to get in touch with us. You can wait for me to scroll to the top. <laughs> you can get us at you can get us at uh, forty go fourteen at uh, at forty go fourteen at Twitter. And you can get us at forty go fourteen at gmail dot com on Facebook and seven zero eight six six nine nine seven two seven. And if they want to download the show, Josh, where can they go? They can find us on TalkShoe, Stitcher, iTunes, Blueberry, and other fine podcasting directories, as well as at musingsofageek dot com, our network. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you check us out there, I, if you have us on Stitcher, add us to a playlist. If you're listening to us on iTunes, uh, consider giving us a rating or a review. All that stuff helps us out. And uh, just glad to hear you people are listening and enjoying what we have to do. So, And I would like All to right. point out that I mentioned a week or so ago that if you have suggestions for this show, leave us a voicemail, an email, Twitter, whatever. Let us know. We might use it. Well, case in point, look what happened. Yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, you folks have a good afternoon and uh, hope to hear from you again. Give us a call. Yeah, we'll have Pat back. Well, not just the, the Pat buttons. Although I like right. the Pat buttons. Well, you can just go. Exactly. And I'll be back too.
You are now leaving the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. <laughs> Wasn't that just magnificent? I was worried it was getting a little dodgy in the milk part, but then that finale. <laughs> wow!